the fact that I knew nothing was a huge help. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with Michael Turney to learn about his business, Stuffed Puffs. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. Really looking forward to the conversation. So I want to start with uh, just the inspiration story. What inspired you to come up with the idea of Stuffed Puffs? So pretty organic story. I uh, freshman in college, between freshman and sophomore year, maybe between sophomore and junior year. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but was, uh, I do remember the, the genesis of the moment. And so I'm 19 years old. I'm sitting around a campfire in friend's backyard. And there's, I don't know, 15, 20 of us there. And everyone is you know, talking about the stars and, and all the things going on. And I have enough problems down here to get myself invested in, in what's going on out there. And I, uh, I was sitting there and uh, everyone was roasting s'mores and I fundamentally don't like s'mores. And that was my big issue. And I was sitting there trying to figure out what about the, the traditional s'more that wasn't working for me? And my background's in food, and I know we're going to touch on that in a little bit. But what bothered me was that the chocolate never melted, right? It never looked like that TV commercial for that really, you know, ooey gooey chocolatey s'more. It was always ice cold and slid around the graham cracker like a hockey puck on ice. And so I sat there and I ripped a, a marshmallow in half and shoved a piece of chocolate inside and seamed it back together and put it over the fire and and of course, it melted from the inside out. And so at 19, you think you know everything, right? And so I didn't even think that uh, anyone else could have possibly been doing this at the same time that I was. You know, come to find out, probably hundreds of millions of people have done this over the last you know, 20 years. And so that uh, was the beauty of being so young when I, I had this idea is I really felt like I identified with it as mine. And it was like a light bulb went off. Like I felt like I, you know, invented the wheel or something, you know, monumental on that, that stature. And that's, that's really the moment where it started. And I remember everyone sitting around the fire as I was making these and going, oh my God, this is, this is a million dollar idea. And I was like, wow, a million dollars, that would be incredible. And it stuck with me for years until, so call that circa 2008, it was 2012 before I started the company, but that, that's really where it all started out of. So let's talk about that 2012 onwards. So what inspired you in 2012 to jump in full with the idea? And what's the journey looked like since then? So I was working at uh, 11 Madison Park in New York City in, in the kitchens there. And I had worked my way through a lot of the, the stations, as they're called, to a point where I could poke my head over the wall and see that the grass might not be any greener on the other side for me, for what I was trying to accomplish long term. And I was looking for what was going to be next. And I could not stop thinking about this chocolate-filled marshmallow. At the time, it wasn't Stuff Puffs yet idea that I had. And I'm, I'm surrounded by food at the highest level all day. And so my mind is always thinking about, you know, creating, especially in the kitchen. And every summer I would go and look in the stores and go, oh my God, they haven't done it yet. Like I still have time. I still have time every year. And so by 2012, I said, okay, I'm going to make a change. I'm 22 at the time. And I said, we're going to go, uh, I'm going to take six months 
I remember saying to myself, I'm going to take six months. I'm going to move out of the city. I'm going to move back home in Long Island and I'm going to try and get this thing off the ground. And in six months, I can't achieve anything. I will go back to the three Michelin starred restaurant world. And thanks to the meteoric success that 11 Madison Park had, I should be able to get a job. No problem. Right. I'll just call it a sabbatical. And so that was the start of it. And so I, I started First night I built, I went to Home Depot and I built a giant Rule Goldberg machine first in my mom's kitchen. Then I got relegated to the basement. Uh, marshmallow is a pretty messy substance. And I was, you know, playing mad scientist trying to figure out how to do this at scale with no manufacturing background, right? Everything I was used to was farm to table, not, you know, mass production. And so that was really the first, the first iteration of it. And then I started looking for partners. And this is where it got, you know, a little interesting is because I'm still in this bubble of thinking, ah, this is, you know, I'm the only one with this great idea. And so I took meetings at all of the major CPG candy companies that you could rattle off some of the minor ones, uh, as well as equipment suppliers in North America, Asia, Europe. Middle East, you know, everywhere but Africa and Antarctica, I traveled to try and figure this out over a five-year period. And I remember I had a, a meeting with, with a, one of the biggest in the space. And I you know, came in, I had these beautiful handmade samples. I sit down, I think I'm about to you know, open Pandora's box for them, um, you know, metaphorically speaking, on like giving them this light bulb moment and then partnering with them to bring this to life. And I remember, you know, giving them the samples and I just got these looks of, you know, kind of looking around the room and I'm like, what's, you know, what's going on? And they go, uh, you don't think we've thought of this? And I'm sitting there in the back of my head, I'm going, no, I really, really didn't think you thought of this. And they're going, this is the running joke around, you know, this company. And uh, we get requests every day from consumers on how, uh, how we can achieve this product. It's impossible. We've spent millions and millions of dollars on it, go get a job. And I said, all right, not a great idea, but would be a really cool execution if somebody could pull it off. And so that's what really pushed me into this. And I've been one who does my best work when you know I'm kind of backed into a corner, when things are good and things are flowing, it's all great. But when you know I get pushed into a corner, I'm, I'm pretty good at weaseling my way out. And when somebody challenges me to do something, that's where I really get the most motivated. And so here I am time after time with these these equipment suppliers, these big manufacturers going, yeah, you know, we've, we've played with this. We've, we've spent money on it and it, uh, it doesn't work. You can't do it. And I just refused to accept that as a possibility. But now I knew I was on a time horizon because it wasn't my great idea anymore. It would be my great execution if, if we could do it. And so uh, we raised some capital. And by the time I figured out some of the most intricate parts of the, the design, we were out of money. And so I had to figure out a way to keep this alive because it's really hard at 24 when you look like you're 16 and you don't have a trust fund and you don't have access to capital to go in and raise money when part of the honest part of your pitch is, yeah, everyone's told me this is impossible. Every equipment supplier has said it can't be done. That's a tough, a tough proposition to raise capital on. And so I started another brand in the space based on really me trying to save stuff puffs. I said, what can I do that I know I'm good at that will keep me from going and getting a traditional job? And so it started as 
as catering and morphed into a partnership with a very small, really forward-thinking health food store in, uh, in Long Island. And uh, it grew into a brand called Mikey's, which is a frozen, uh, better-for-you, gluten-free brand that you can still find today at about 10,000 stores. And I'm still a part of that brand. But that success is, is what allowed me to, to continue working on Stuff Puffs. And so you fast forward a little bit. Now we're talking like 2015, 2016. I went down to Bentonville, Arkansas to meet with uh, a little company called Walmart. I think everyone, everyone's familiar with, with their presence in, in the space. And so uh, I go down there for a Mikey's meeting and I'm trying to get a hold of the candy buyers because for me, I'm thinking if I can get a retailer of that magnitude to support this idea, all of a sudden I do have a platform to go raise capital on again because now there's an interest level to create a market for it, right? And so I go down there and uh, I have my Mikey's meeting and I basically I like enact, you know, squatters rights on the buying room there. And I just don't leave. And I take out a campfire stove that I bought across the street at the Walmart home store, butane stove. I crank the thing up. I stand out in the aisle uh, and I start handing out stuff puffs to anyone who will walk by. I don't care if you're a competitor, uh, you're a lawyer, you're a janitor. It doesn't really make a difference. I just want everyone involved uh, in trying this product. And at the same time, I'm like, I am right on the razor edge of getting like arrested and thrown out of this building. And so we sent, I had given everyone the buyer's contact information and, and uh, eventually he came down and met with me. And the first thing he said is, you got to shut the fire off, right? You're going to burn the building down. I said, okay, fair enough. And we sat and we had a three-hour discussion about Stuff Puffs. And it was like the most, it was was the moment, you know, everyone talks about these tipping points. It was one of those moments where I said, okay, after six years or five years of doing this, I finally feel like there's some validation in keeping this going. And for the next four years, every summer, I'd make a commitment to Walmart that we would be able to ship this nationally. And every summer, I would fail at doing it. And so by 2000, and you know, buyers changed and different people, but there was this, there's pass down of information about the, the guy who came in and, and, you know, lit the building on fire, essentially. And there was a lot of excitement around it. And so finally, in 2018, Mikey's did a, a partnership with a, a innovation center venture group out of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania called Factory that allowed us the capital to then go build stuff puffs. And so what we did was we built a, um, at this point I knew, look, it's impossible to find a contract manufacturer or equipment supplier to do this. I've spent, you know, seven years of my life scouring the earth for one. It doesn't exist. We're going to have to do this. We're going to have to do it ourselves. And so we, we uh, purchased a candy factory in Wisconsin, tore it down to the floors and rebuilt it in like six months. Cause I told Walmart, I said, this is going to be the year we're going to launch this product. It's going to happen, which I probably said every year before that, but I really felt good about it this time. And we sprinted to get all of our own custom designed equipment fabricated. Most of it we were doing ourselves. Uh, piecing everything together to what was the the big version of my Rule Goldberg machine from my mom's basement, you know, years before, and it worked. 
And so all of a sudden, here we are, 2019, shipping product for the first time nationally on a launch uh, partnership with Walmart. And I thought that plant was going to last us for years. And now here we are, you know, not even two years, fully years later, and we've built a second location that we'll, we'll talk more about. But that's, I mean, really, the, the story is, is, is really one of perseverance more than anything else, right? And possibly kind of unblinding faith. And, and like I like to say, every entrepreneur needs to be an eternal optimist, because if you're not, you're going to get derailed pretty easily. But that's, you know, that's the seven-year journey bottled into to a couple minutes. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. You mentioned that you know everybody you talked to said you couldn't do this, you couldn't do the manufacturing. What do you think allowed you as an outsider and you know, factory as your partner to really crack this nut where others had thrown millions of dollars down a drain and not gotten anything out of it? So I think uh, the fact that I knew nothing was a huge help because I came from a world in fine dining that is so far ahead of you know, consumer product goods in terms of innovation and technology, because you're doing it on a really small scale. And sometimes not knowing enough allows you to think way wider than you would if you knew, you know, too much about a specific topic. And, you know, I looked at this and said, okay, candy manufacturing is, is relatively archaic in nature. You have a lot of suppliers out there that are so excited to show you their machine from, you know, 1912 that's still running, making whatever it is it's making. And that mentality is, I th- is what grabbed me and said, I think people are just missing the forest for the trees on how to do this. You know, we're, we're sending rockets to, to Mars and talking about tunnelizing another planet and we're telling ourselves we can't put chocolate inside of a marshmallow. There's just no way. We just need to look at, you know, industries that are doing things much more advanced than where food manufacturing is. And so because I took that approach, I think we were able to, we were able to tackle this, you know, from a white sheet of paper saying, okay, nothing's sacred, right? And I think when you have a, a large operation, you're a big multi-billion dollar company, you have plants all over the world. Everything's sacred, right? You have all these, you have all these resources, you have all these infrastructure. You're trying to figure out how to tie in, you know, the current assets you have and the current way you do things into your innovation. And when you're starting with nothing, it's really easy to think far outside of that box. And so I think that was, you know, that was a blessing in disguise, not being from this category, from this space, to be able to really think differently about how to how to approach the problem. So the journey you've taken is definitely a unique one in a lot of different ways as you talked. When you finally got to that moment and you know you had the buy-in, you had the manufacturing, how'd you go about thinking about the packaging and the branding and everything else that went into this business? 
So uh, it's pretty funny. The original name Stuff Puffs, I came about in 2000 and let's say 13, 14, you know, pretty early into the process, probably 13, within the first year of, of, of working on this. And it was my... I think my brother was probably eight or nine at the time who, you know, threw it out from the back seat of a car on a road trip. And I said, yeah, okay, that's, that's the name, right? I mean, just some of this stuff has happened super organically. And I wanted a name that played literally to the product because marshmallows as a category don't have a lot of brand affinity the way other categories do, right? You think about the war between Coke and Pepsi, right? Everyone knows if they picked up a Coke or a Pepsi, in marshmallows, most people know if they picked up the big ones or the small ones. There really isn't that you know unaided awareness around brand recognition and brand loyalty. And so for me, coming in and saying, okay, let's do something that feels familiar for the consumer because we didn't have the budgets to to come out and you know do a huge marketing campaign to educate a consumer. And so part of it's packaging, but part of it's also the product we chose to launch with. So. You know, I think about Stuff Puffs like a technology platform, right? We've created a completely innovative way of manufacturing something that everyone else said was impossible. The fact that we launched with a milk chocolate filled vanilla marshmallow in a cylindrical shape was a branding and, and a marketing and a packaging decision. And I say that because I wanted to find a way to have the easiest entry point for a consumer to gravitate towards the product and understand it immediately without me having to spend a lot of capital teaching them what the product is. And so we've been putting marshmallow and chocolates together since the 20s, 1920s, when the Girl Scouts invented it. And for me, it was so obvious. And it seemed like it was so obvious once we put it on shelves because consumers got it right away. But it's why we went in a pillow pack format to feel like what you're used to buying, right? We could have gone super premium, you know, stand-up doy bag, jar, whatever. And I think it would have been less accessible. It would have been less understandable. And I think it would have hindered our ability to have the kind of reach we've had so far. And so uh, the name plays into that, right? A stuffed puff is a filled marshmallow at the end of the day, right? Literally what it's it's meant to, to evoke for the consumer is an understanding of the product. And I liked the idea of bringing character into it. And so my brother came up with the name. My mom drew the first character. This was a very inside job, Dave. But uh, I liked the idea of having this, this mascot, this very jovial character that you know kids could relate to. And, and it could be the face of the brand. So eventually, instead of having to say the name and the product descriptor and the logo, you could just have the character and the consumer would understand exactly what it is. And so that's that's really the genesis behind uh, how we got to the, the format that we selected. So fast forward today, you, you've got the brand out there, you figure out manufacturing, you're on the shelves of Walmart. Where else have you expanded the brand? And how are you thinking about getting the awareness of the business out there? So we've expanded to about 25,000 retail doors now, which include most of you know all of the major national players, a lot of the regional grocers. We're looking at a launch this year in the Club Channel, which we're really excited about. And so for driving awareness of the business, now this year, built this new factory. We've got about $100 million invested in the business already mainly in manufacturing assets and our great team here at Stuff Puffs. 
but we've got a pretty large budget this year to go out and aggressively market the brand for the first time. So for example, we're doing, uh, we're doing a TV commercial for the first time. We've never done that before. We're really leaning in heavy on not only social and digital to tie into that TV campaign, but also on our shopper marketing programs and store in terms of ensuring we've got really attention grabbing pallets and shipper displays in store that are in aisle, grab the shopper's attention, educate them on the product and and hopefully entice them to, to put in their cart. And when you think about driving that mass awareness, how have you decided which tools you wanted to use? You know, what drove you to a TV versus sampling versus anything else at your disposal? Sampling's tough since COVID. A lot of that has been ratcheted back or turned off completely. I looked at TV and we have a great marketing team here. And what I really pride myself on with with how we've built this business is we've hired really great people. And I try and find people that excel at something better than I can in whatever their discipline is and just be, you know, the one who who steers the ship and drives us in in the right direction. And so our marketing team has done a great job putting together a pretty robust plan for how we draw consumer affinity and, and awareness for the brand this year. And they all come from startups that have had meteoric growth in the CPG space and then and then exited. And so we've been really fortunate in, in putting together a great team around that. But the other piece is for me, TV has its ability to really put a mark in the ground for a brand. And when you see something on television, even with the decline of television and, and the, you know, the, the Netflix and the Hulus and everyone else in the world really taking over and, and YouTube, TV is still massive. I mean, over 70% of the ads that are, are viewed by consumers are still happening on TV versus any other digital space. And so I think it helps really put the brand on a national stage and really kind of say we're here and we're, we're ready to, to really make a run at this. And so for me, that was important to, to put that out there because we're really trying to expand uh, as quickly as possible and take as much of a foothold on, on the marshmallow category. And really, this is so much bigger than a marshmallow. It's a confectionery. It's a candy item at the end of the day. And I want to grow a category within candy of all sorts of different Stuff Puffs items. And, uh, and part of that is, is making that jump very quickly. And the way to do that is, is really having some robust uh, marketing tools, whether it's TV or digital or social, which we're doing all of it. it it's, it's really a 360 plan to grow the company as quickly as possible. So what's next for the business? Where do you take it from here? So we've got a lot of fun innovation on the pipeline. And a lot of it has to do with our ability to do more than what the consumer's seen already with the technology that we have. So up to now, we've done our classic milk chocolate, our chocolate on chocolate, our chocolate peppermint bark, as well as our Halloween and our Easter items. But all of them are the same cylindrical marshmallow with a milk chocolate filling and different variations of of flavoring on both the inside and the outside. But what we have the ability to do is vastly wider than that. So whether it's uh, different shapes for seasonal activations, whether it's snackable sizes, whether it's coatings on the outside, like imagine a poppable instant type s'more or other variations of that, or it's different different colors and flavorings that allow us to really expand the portfolio into 
a lot of different flavor profiles that people resonate with, right? So you're buying, you know, birthday cake somewhere else. And we're not launching a birthday cake. So I can I can talk about this as an example, or at least we're not launching one yet. I'm trying to find flavor profiles, whether it's that classic s'more, that vanilla uh, and milk chocolate combination, or other combinations that fit well into our delivery system and into our, our technology that give consumers a whole new way of treating themselves. And that's really what we're what we're building towards. Well, I can't thank you enough for sitting down to talk. You know, it's not many entrepreneurs that take that journey from the inspiration at 19 to see it all the ways through that you have and uh, got Walmart to keep saying yes four years in a row after uh, not shipping what they asked you to. So congrats on the journey and thank you for sharing it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dave. It's really great to talk with you. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.